Hello, this is the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. We accelerate ideas into real companies through the Tacklebox membership, and we think through startup strategy every Wednesday on the Idea to Startup podcast. You're here because you're thinking about an idea. You're ready to launch something, or you possibly launched something already, and you're flying full steam ahead. We're here to give you the tactical strategy that will give your business the best chance of success. Growing up, Pepsi and Coke had an aggressive rivalry. We were a Coke family. We never actually had Coke in our house, but sometimes when we went out to get pizza, I'd get a Coke, and if the server said, is Pepsi okay? I'd grudgingly say, yes, sugar was sugar, and I wasn't that loyal, but I'd make a face. Almost every family we knew were Coke families. Again, I'm not sure why I knew this, but I remember it being important. I remember there was this one kid, Aaron, who was from a Pepsi family, and I definitely looked at him a little bit differently. On the other hand, Aaron was fast, faster than me, and if you know kids, there's absolutely nothing more important than who can beat who in a race, so I couldn't say all that much. Anyway, I remember in like fourth or fifth grade, things started to change a bit. Pepsi became more and more popular. One of the reasons, I thought, was a commercial series that had come out called the Pepsi Challenge. If you don't remember them, Pepsi would set up a blind taste test where people would take a sip of two sodas, one Pepsi, one Coke. They'd videotape this in real time as person after person chose Pepsi. I remember the ground shifting beneath me as I watched these commercials. How were all these people choosing Pepsi? Were all of us Coke drinkers wrong? I remember thinking it almost had to be fake. I learned how to add an external audio last week, so you better believe I'm tossing in this commercial. You won't be able to see it, but I promise you the song will be worth it. This is the taste. This is the test. Pepsi versus Coke. The Pepsi Challenge. And all across America, more people pick Pepsi. Pepsi. Time after time after time. Pepsi Cola. One more time. It's going to be Pepsi now. The winning taste is Pepsi. It's going to be, going to be, going to be Pepsi now. Pepsi giving. It's going to be, going to be, going to be Pepsi now. What an unbelievable song there's like a 20% chance that song becomes our main theme music. Anyway, why are we talking about this? Why am I discussing Pepsi and Coke on Idea to Startup? We're talking about it because after the commercials aired, Pepsi actually started to outsell Coke. They grew so much that they pushed Coke to actually change their formula and create new Coke, which was an abject disaster. Little brother Pepsi had climbed the unclimbable mountain. And my friend Aaron found himself as not only the fastest kid in our grade, but the one who'd always liked the now cooler soda. Today, we're going to talk about how to go after big ideas, how to take market share in a big market, how Pepsi did it, and how that can help us start something meaningful. After a little smooth jazz. I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox, a monthly membership program that provides structure, strategy, and network for entrepreneurs testing and building startup ideas on the side. We help you flesh out and test your idea so you can understand its potential and start working purposefully towards that potential. We put everything we learned from seven years helping over 350 idea stage entrepreneurs build businesses that raised over 100 million bucks and are now worth nearly a billion into this program. It's a clear step-by-step path with target metrics that'll take you from idea to product. You'll get direct feedback from us as you build and a built-in network. It's the thing I would have killed for when I was working on my idea without direction or a team, which is exactly why we built it. 
The membership has grown fast the past few weeks. Come and join us. We're going to launch 250 businesses this year. One of those might as well be yours. Head to gettacklebox.com slash ideas to get the podcast listeners deal. And if you do, I'll see you on Wednesday at our one-on-one strategy session. Back to it. We're going to try and build a big business today. We've had a number of founders reach out lately telling me they think this recession is going to create a few mammoth companies and they want one of them to be theirs. The only problem is they don't have an idea. So let's find one for these ambitious founders, the ones that want to make a dent in the world and buy an island that they'll hopefully invite me to. I am cautious here because as I talk about building a big business, I'm reminded of the classic baseball adage. If you try to hit a home run, you'll never hit a home run. But I'm also reminded of what Mickey Mantle once said to a reporter during a massive slump where he'd struck out something like 20 times in a week. The reporter asked, it seems like you're trying to hit home runs. Are you? Mickey coolly replied, of course, every time. What else am I supposed to do? So today we'll call our shot a bit and try and build something big. And as I drafted out this pod, I realized that the approach translates incredibly well to people trying to build any type of business. So people building the small, ambitious business, this works for you too. So let's get to it. We need to start with an idea that can support a big business. There are three pillars to finding that idea. The first and probably most important is finding a market that's currently undergoing a seismic shift. We've worked with a lot of founders at Tacklebox over the years and a few universal truths have started to emerge. One is that a great founder cannot overcome a bad market, but a great market can overcome a bad founder. I've watched fantastic entrepreneurs heroically tread water as wildly average entrepreneurs post about their Forbes 30 under 30, and it's all due to market. Oh, and don't worry, I didn't forget about Pepsi and Coke. It's actually a really interesting ending to that story, and we'll get back to it. But back to a market moving in the right direction. Founders ask us all the time how they can find that great market, the one that's growing that they should latch onto. Because the great entrepreneur in the bad market wasn't seeking out a bad market when they started. It wasn't some sort of twisted challenge. They thought this would be a good market. The answer is to ask a question far too few people ask before they pursue an idea. That question is, what's changed that makes the business you want to build viable today when it wasn't two years ago? This question forces you to identify markets that have a real shift. Bad answers to this question sound like people are traveling more, people are being more mindful. I did see a bunch of good answers, answers you should definitely look through if you're looking for inspiration for a startup in a tweet, and I'll pop it in the show notes. The tweet was from Steph Smith and linked to a bunch of industries with concrete data points reflecting seismic change. Steph started the thread by telling the now popular history of Jeff Bezos and Amazon. As the story goes, in 1994, Jeff Bezos left his private equity job to start Amazon because he noticed something. Specifically, a stat. The internet was growing 2,300% per year. He understood what this meant. Every industry would shift onto the internet and create a massive wave of value. He'd ride that wave, starting with books, moving to a full-fledged online retail business, a cloud computing business, and finally, a cartoon villain in aviators. But the more interesting part of the tweet were the examples Steph culled afterwards. I've cherry-picked a few. First, the cost of mapping a genome has fallen 100,000% over the last 15 years. It's gone from about $100 million to less than $1,000. 
Next, college tuition has outpaced how much people earn by almost 10 times since 1990. You know I'm putting a pin in that one. Next, the percentage of men under 30 not having sex has tripled in the past 10 years. I'm not putting a pin anywhere near that one, but it feels like it matters. In 1942, eight hours of sleep was the norm. Today, people get an average of 6.8 hours a night. This results in a $411 billion toll on the U.S. economy in the form of lower productivity, higher mortality, higher incidence of sickness, and on and on. Next, a lab-grown burger cost $330,000 in 2013. Now, one pound of lab-grown chicken costs about seven bucks. A kilogram of lab-grown shrimp is 37 bucks today, but it'll be $4 by 2026. Next, and finally, a solar plant is three times cheaper than a coal plant. Each of these are market-changing stats. The markets I just described and the rest of the markets in the tweet will look nothing like they do today in 10 years. The stats are canaries in the gold mine, and that is your opportunity. That is the first pillar of building a massive business. But as my dad says, what's that got to do with the price of beer? What do I do with a cheap human genome? How do I latch on to that market? I'm glad you asked. New Coke was eventually switched back to the classic formula, with Coke becoming known as Classic Coke. Classic Coke sales exploded, overtaking Pepsi, and by eighth grade, I was faster than Aaron. Order was restored. But what happened to let Pepsi make that run in the first place? The second pillar of building a big business is jobs to be done theory. We've talked about jobs to be done on the podcast before, but as a refresher, it's a theory created by the late Clayton Christensen, an economist who came up with some of the most important theories for entrepreneurs. His books, The Innovator's Dilemma and Competing Against Luck are canon. I'll link to them in the show notes. The basic idea of jobs to be done theory is that customers hire your product for a specific job. Once you think about your product and customer in those terms, the world will shift. Lots of people will hire the same product for different jobs. I might hire a lamp to make me look better on Zoom calls while your kid might hire the same lamp to keep away monsters. Understanding the job your customer is hiring you to do, then building your entire feature set to support that job is critical for entering a market. It's really unlikely your initial product will be good enough to satisfy a bunch of different jobs, so you've got to focus on one and nail it. Pepsi is sweeter than Coke. It's got more sugar, and it's got more caffeine. When taste testers are taking one sip, they prefer it to Coke. Coke has less sugar and is less intense. The majority of people prefer a full can of Coke to a full can of Pepsi, though. But if you're hiring a soda for a taste test for one sip, you hire Pepsi. And that is what was so brilliant about the campaign. One sip is not representative of your normal soda experience, but most people didn't realize they were comparing apples to oranges. Quick note on that phrase, by the way, it's really easy to compare apples to oranges. By recognizing the job their customer was hiring them to do in that scenario, Pepsi was able to dramatically shift the soda landscape. Unfortunately, they didn't sell Pepsi in two ounce shots, so eventually this caught up with them. Let's take a look at education. Education costs have skyrocketed. They outpaced how much people earn by 10x. It's literally the only thing that hasn't gotten cheaper with the internet. Most degrees don't lead to a job that'll allow you to pay the student debt in less than a decade. By all measures, this is probably a bad investment, but schools live on. 
If you took out loans for school in 1970, statistically, you'd have them paid off within 18 months of graduating. Today? So why is this still a problem? Why is college so ingrained? Why are college applications increasing even when judged against pre-COVID levels? People ask this question constantly and the answer is simple, jobs to be done. What do people hire college for? Validation. Your diploma from X school says that someone else relatively capable thought you were relatively capable at the age of 17. And a huge part of the rest of your life now depends on that. Everyone recognizes how silly and antiquated and irrational it is, but humans are not rational. We're reasonable. And unfortunately, if you're hiring college for validation, it actually does a good job. And that's why it still exists as it is, and why you're unlikely to build a better product for the job of validation. That's not to say that college will be exactly as it is in 10 years. It definitely won't be. But it won't be because someone takes on the job of validation head on. It'll be from the edges which means you need to find people looking to hire education for a different reason if you're going to get into this market. Maybe they're hiring it to help them shift careers. Maybe they're hiring it to help them start a business. Maybe it's to learn how to write a book or learn how to sell software. Or maybe you take the barbell approach. The ends of the education market actually aren't all that bad. Paying $75,000 a year to go to Harvard will likely be a good investment. And free community colleges on the other end of the barbell tend to be a good investment too. What are people in the middle hiring college for? And what are specific people at those schools hiring it for? Zooming in and out and starting to identify the customer segments that are hiring schools for various reasons and figuring out how to leverage your insight to build a better product to solve that problem is a good approach. But how do you know these things? How do you know what a sophomore at Michigan State really wants? This brings us to the last pillar, which is you. We think of startup ideas like a Venn diagram. I always recommend people map these out on a big piece of paper. Start with your skills, your knowledge, and your network. These are all circles, and the circles are bigger or smaller based on how comparatively unique they are. If you're in finance, your finance circle is still gonna be pretty small. You might even be very good at finance, but tens of thousands of people are very good at finance too. You're not that unique in that sense. Startups are about differentiation and unique value and just experience in finance isn't gonna cut it. If you grew up in Kenya and moved here when you were 19 and then got into finance, that circle is gonna be much bigger because you've actually got unique perspective, a view that far fewer people will share. The goal is to overlap these circles to find opportunity. Each overlap circle supercharges your differentiation. So let's say you're a chef. That circle is somewhat small. Maybe you've worked at a few restaurants and were thinking about opening up your own. You taught yourself how to be a chef by watching YouTube videos while you had an accounting career. You didn't attend culinary school. Well, when you layer that circle on top of the changes happening in the education market, things start to get interesting. Then you can target a specific type of customer and maybe learn more about them. Figure out if there's a job you can build a product for. Maybe you dig in and find there are lots of people who are interested in supplementing their day jobs by becoming a personal chef on the weekends, but they don't really know what that entail. They don't know if they're good enough. They don't know what else they need to learn. They don't know how to find jobs. They'd be hiring you to get the feel for it, to learn what it might feel like to be a personal chef on the weekends, to learn how to find customers, to learn how to cook at scale. You jump into the market solving that problem. Then, as the market moves more aggressively away from college, you can continue to grow. 
either vertically or horizontally. Maybe you eventually become the online replacement for a culinary school. Identify a market that's ready to move. Get your hands dirty, understanding the jobs to be done for different customers. Layer on your specific expertise and perspective and build. Then, as the market grows and evolves, you all grow with it. Building in a growing market is like surfing a giant wave. The market does the majority of the work. It takes the pressure off of you executing. Building in a stagnant market is like surfing in a lake. No matter how good you are, you ain't going anywhere. No matter what business you're starting, a moving, evolving market where your business wasn't possible two years ago but is today for some reason will dramatically increase the chances you succeed. Also, Aaron, if you're listening to this, sorry, bud, but you do know I was faster and that Coke stinks. See you at the reunion. This was the Idea to Startup podcast brought to you by the Tacklebox membership. If you've got a startup idea and a full-time job and you want to start that sucker off right and do all the stuff we just talked about with me and the team, head to gettacklebox.com slash no whisper ideas to get the podcast listener deal.